You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, my good friend, Rob Hollis. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. How are you? We got a great guest today. We do. Who? We always have great guests. Yeah, but who do we have this week? You guys watch a show called Arrow. It's one of the biggest Never. shows out there. That's huge. It's one of the, you know, this guy has millions of followers. He's a charitable guy. He's, uh, he's everywhere. He's a What's really good looking guy. His name's Stephen Amell. He's a hunk. He's, uh, he's got a huge following. Um, we get really inside of Stephen. And in fact, he was on Unqualified on Anna Ferris's podcast. Yeah, they right? had a live show at a comic con. And yes, of course. And they obviously produced this show. And um, guess what? He said the smartest thing that Anna and Sim ever did was bringing you on the network. He says the show, he says he, he, uh, he never opens up about his divorce, and he did. I got him to open up about it, but he said it was like, I don't know, it felt natural. And look, we talk about his divorce, we talk about so many things about... Just just get in and listen to this. Yeah, I, I think you should just listen to this. I think you're going to really dig it. This episode of Inside of You is brought to you by... The H. Hemp Company. Yeah, this company has saved me, I got to tell you. Their, their products are the real deal. If you want to relax, feel better naturally, you don't get high at all. So you don't have to worry about that because I, I know there's a lot of products out there like, you know, CBD based and all this. But look, you take the H Hemp Company's products. They've been written about in magazines. You feel better. I, I use this bomb and uh, Rosen a Rosen bomb. Yeah, dude, I put it on my because I got neckish. I got a herniation in my neck. I use it in my I've had back surgeries yeah, and I just feel better. Always dude. complaining about being in pain. And ever since you started using this, it seems yeah, like you, bit, you bitch a little less. It's what I've been looking for, bro. Yep. I could take H hemp CBD and still function. I can go to hemp.com and I could try it, which you can also do. And if you use Rosie 20, you get 20% off Rosie 20. I know the guys there, too. They're freaking amazing guys. Stephen Amell, folks. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I have a feeling not a lot bothers you. No. (laughs) Is that true? I'm pretty easygoing. I'm very particular, but I'm pretty easygoing. Do you think you've always been easygoing, or do you think that... uh... I've been pretty easygoing since I moved out to LA properly in 2010, but the the working on Arrow, and I can pretty much tell you what I'm going to be doing every day down to the minute, right? So, so my, structure. My, my time has become incredibly valuable. You have purpose every day. You do things that have some kind of purpose in your life. Even if that means doing nothing, right? But I need to walk. You need that. I'm becoming a little, I'm becoming a little like when I walk into a room, I need stuff to be organized. Okay. Do you think this room is organized? This is the, uh, this is the basement. This is the podcast screening room. For the most part, it's pretty organized, right? It's pretty organized. I cleaned up quite a bit before we started though. You had a bunch of shit everywhere. Really? Was it dirty? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you, you know, yeah, I had band practice, and then I had an interview for like I did this movie called Urban Legend when I was like 26, and mm-hmm. it was a 20th anniversary. Uh, so they asked if they'd come interview me, but so they trashed my place, and then they didn't, you know, they didn't really clean. They didn't it. really clean up. So that's why it was a little messy. But uh, thanks, Rob, for you know taking credit for cleaning my house. You're, you're welcome. At the at the very least, there's some serious organization going on with the DVDs. And that's inc- that's that's critically important. To How me. many people do you know have DVDs still? Uh, I one. Who's that? My buddy Jeff Brown. He has every DVD. Blu-ray I, slash I, Blu-ray slash Blu-ray. I think that he sold them when he moved to New York. 
but uh, he would have everything. And I mean everything. Like We would go through his Dude, stuff. and I have laser discs upstairs <laughs> in my bedroom, like Jaws, Collector's <laughs> Edition with the Peter Benchley book. I have Alien. I have, you know, people are like, you know, why don't you just sell these? I'm like, first of all, get $10 for this collection. Right. And it's all alphabetized, which is so weird to some people. But why would you want to have a DVD collection and not know where to go find Jaws? That makes perfect sense. No, because I was looking at it and I'm looking at the TV DVDs up there and you have Game of Thrones right after Friends. So I recognized immediately that it was alphabetized. That sort of stuff is important. But you know what happens is that sometimes it gets like a little messy, especially when you're talking about TV shows and box sets. So mm-hmm. this side is a little messier than the mm-hmm. other side. Uh, I guess you guys would have to be here to see what we're talking about. No, but why would you sell it? It's art. It is art. You come down here and it kind of adds a little fun to the room, doesn't it? It adds a yeah. little bit like, hey, this guy's dated. Do you own a DVD player? Well, sure. Okay. I a, I, well, here's the great thing. I have a Blu-ray player, which is part of my Xbox. So you could play... Right. Whatever you want in the in the Xbox. Right. Do you own right. an Xbox? No. Do you have a PlayStation? I haven't had a gaming system since Super Nintendo. Stephen Amell, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. This is uh, we we just we always just start. I was coming down from Hermosa. I thought I was going to be late. I was worried. You're a busy guy. Your time's important. And I was like, "Fuck, dude." He said three o'clock, and I keep going, "Hey, man, what about three thirty? Like, no, three o'clock's good. I'm like, "Fuck." Yeah, but I I'm, live right around the corner from you. Where do you live? Don't, without giving the address away, I, I live less than a mile from you. So this is easy. Yeah, I still drove like an asshole because I have to pick up my wife afterwards. But uh, but yeah, and I would have, and it's uphill, and I would have come. That's in just, a sweat. I would have sweat bad. It, yeah, are you a sweater? <laughs> I'm a sweater. At, at, not really more so than other people, but I have a tendency to uh, always do a workout or always not give myself enough time to cool down from a workout or a shower or a steam before I have to go and do something. And I'll just be fully sweating. Do in you my think clothes. it's important to sweat when you're working out? Yes. Is, 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 what happens when like, for me, I, uh, I seem to do the same things, you know, three times a week I go down, I lift a little, but I don't really sweat. Am I, is, am I missing something? I think it, it's just important to sweat. I don't know. I mean, I don't really understand people who don't sweat. I, I'll do like a power yoga class or something like that. Or even today, it was at the was at this gym on the Sunset Strip, and I was doing the same workout as other people, and I was dripping with sweat, and they're not sweating. But see, you're in wonderful shape. Like I'm looking at you, and I'm not looking at you in a sexual. Well, maybe, but you got a great body. Mm-hmm. You know, you're. I never have seen a bad picture of you. I'm sure there are some. No, they exist. Yeah, they exist. But like, I look at you, and I'm like. I'm sort of envious, and then I'm sort of like, God, man, he's got to. That's got to suck to always be in shape. It's is well, it both? Is it like the? Ever- it's it's both. The only time that it's annoying is that every once in a while on the show, I felt like they haven't put together the proper infrastructure. Like if it's a priority for you, if you guys want me to be shirtless on the show, then then why the fuck are there donuts at craft service? Um, if you want me to go work out build it into my day. Make my call time eight o'clock, but it's eight o'clock in the gym and it's maybe nine 30 in the makeup trailer. Yeah. And I've always, so I've, I've rebelled against, not rebelled, but you know, I've just every once in a while on the show, they'll be like, we want you to do the shirtless thing. And I'll just go, no. I mean, I didn't know to say no in the early days of things, but yeah. No, Have you taken enough pictures, Rob? <laughs> I, I mean, I, how many clicks can we get? <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys, doing a photo shoot. You know, I'm waiting for you to go to stop taking the goddamn pictures. Rob and I have a really good relationship. I've noticed on the show, listening to the show. Yeah, you. This is so cool. Like uh, when when you get friends, peers, other celebrities that like li- listen to the show. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I love that. The first time that I heard the show was somebody. 
who actually uh, covered Smallville, this guy, Craig, who now- Craig from Krypton site. Exactly yeah. right. So he now does the equivalent for Green Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and- Such and a, a nice guy. Super nice Just, guy. And I, I met like a, one of the first times that I met him at Comic-Con, I got to introduce him to John Barrowman and it was like, he's a, he's a good guy and does good work for the show. Right. But he mentioned the show that you did with uh, Tom Welling. Smallville. Smallville. Yeah. And I had never heard Tom speak or be interviewed or- Yeah, he's a real private guy. Or anything. And as a result of him being private, you know, he's mythologized to me. You know, like all the stories that I hear about him, I'm sure are like these kind of wise tales that exist because the first time that I, the first time that I met him, be it like his behavior on set or his salary or you, you know, where are you, where are you hearing this shit from? I'm hearing it from crew members in Vancouver who worked on Smallville. Right. Yeah, we had a ton of people sure. who, you know, and they still wear the shirts from the 200th episode party oh or like God. the rap party or the final season or like we got um uh, john jd 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 still on there jd is still on oh there. what a great yeah. i remember snorting my nose got some did some coke with jd back in season <laughs> one we he goes yeah but uh, i go dude i want to hang out with you we gotta hang out he's like you sure buddy that's how he talks right like, yeah, yeah okay all right and then we went out and one night we snore i don't know if he doesn't do it anymore but we just got really coked up and uh you know i don't do that anymore either but i'm just being honest and open you didn't know a lot about tom other than you heard these stories on tom from the other crew members and like just these the yeah. ideas the ones that i hear are that he wore shorts all the time sandals sandals oh yeah because he would get really hot he's like what, what are we at we're a waster Pants are coming off. <laughs> and I started doing it. But then I couldn't be in character because Lex Luthor without pants. Sure. I just, I had to be somewhat in character. Sure. So me wearing short, I couldn't. I couldn't. I do can't it. even change out of dress shoes that are uncomfortable and wear sneakers or something like that, even if it's a close up. Because you just feel like you're out of character. That's right. I, I, I get that. Yeah. And I'm a guy who can jump in and out of character. I could be laughing and action and go. But when it comes to like what I'm wearing. Me too. I, I, yeah. So you, can you do that too? Or are you really kind of serious in, in, in the zone? No. You know what? I, I try to be whatever the person on set needs me to be. If they, if they want to laugh and joke and all that stuff, that's great. Uh, David Ramsey, um, you know, he and I are always are always goofing around. Same with... Same with Emily, but somebody like Paul Blackthorne is is incredibly serious and comes prepared down to the letter of the line and Jesus. and is a little on the methody side. So I'm all about focus and all I just don't understand when someone's doing a TV show mm -hmm. every episode, unless it's like a ten episode like Breaking Bad, how you could stay method, how you could stay without to me that's just so much that's more energy than letting go. Yeah, and I work based off of the nature of how I have to work in the show, which is that I'm if I'm in there, I'm probably in every scene for the entire day. Jesus and Christ. I've got a ton of lines, so I learn more the shape of the script and then just roll with the punches, whereas somebody like Paul, he might have episodes where he's really busy and he might have an episode where he's got two speeches. And so maybe you maybe you hold on to them a little tighter than you would otherwise. I don't know. Do you learn lines the day of or the night before? And do you ever say, guys, I'm, it's, it's too heavy already. You got to write me maybe one heavy and then the next one's light and then two heavy or something. Do you ever like, we got to balance this out or you just ro roll with the punches? No, I read the script three times and that's it. 
Wait, 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 wait. I read that, you memorize lines that fast. I read the script three times because I never know what we're doing on that particular day. It's easier for me to just show up and know when do I start and when do I when do I finish. But I read the script three times and then I've been saying speeches as Oliver for so long that by the time we block the scene and have gone through it a couple of times, I just I know it. That's it. That's, That's how it. you work. You read it three times, and when you get on set, and you read the lines with the actor or something. Mm -hmm. But then you got it, unless it's a big speech. But you don't have big speeches. No, even then. Even then. Even then, because I I tend to think that sometimes these scripts are written, and I can tell stuff that has been put in the script to satisfy people either at the studio or the network. Right. So. It's not like I'm going to take a speech that's one thing and put it in a completely different direction. But if that speech has 80 words in it, by the time I say it, it tends to have like 55. So they, they let you run with it like, hey, I'm going to make this my own. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you word. Are they like word mm -hmm. Nazis? Like uh, you got to hit this. No. Yeah. no. Thank God. If that was the case, would that be a different scenario how you prepare? Of course. I'm not changing the direction. We're still starting at point A and finishing at point B. And I'm also very cognizant of knowing the entire script so that if I have to say something that's a direct callback to something that somebody else said, then I always make sure to do that. But I just right. like to, I just like to drill it down just a little bit. Now I, w I went off on a tangent. So we were talking about, you started to listen to the podcast. So I, mm -hmm. I, I'm guessing you listen to Tom. I listened to Tom. I mean, I, I didn't even really have any idea what his voice sounded like. Tom Welling. So my co-star, uh, he was Clark on, on Smallville. So you, you didn't, you, all you knew was what you heard. The most popular stories are, as you guys got into the later seasons, Peter Roth would fly up on a on a private jet and ostensibly beg Tom to do another season. And I had to bring this up with him almost immediately. In D, in uh, in, I, no, no, Detroit, D, DC. When I DC, the first DC. time that I met him oh, in DC, yeah, right, right, right. And he just looks at me and he just goes, "No." <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> that never happened. Well, you know what? Peter Roth, the president of Marvel, he did take me out to dinner mm -hmm. a couple of times to try and get me to do a couple extra seasons. But at that point, I had done seven, and I was just – it was different. I was shaving my head every day. I was kind of – I, I yeah. felt like I did it. Yeah. I did it. I did six seasons se – seven seasons. Seven now, how many, seasons. Well, you're in your seventh, right? We're going into seven. Going to seven. And for me, I was just like, I, you know, I want to do comedy. I want to do – this is like – it was just hard for me because I'm always like joking around. I always wanted to do more comedy, but I remember those dinners and I was like, I worked on that network, uh, WB, which turned into CW mm -hmm. for so many years. And I remember I had done so many shows and I probably, if you add it up, had the most years of anybody. I was a veteran for the no CW. WB. And I remember <laughs> we got that we were having dinner and it's like, so where are you from, Michael? You just want, why don't we just cut to the chase? You want me to do an extra season or two and uh, you, you haven't done any research. Why do you, your secretary could have said he's from Indiana. Here's this. Remember this? It just, I, but he was, he was, he was a nice guy. He was, he was out there. He was a great, he, he is a great yeah, guy. Yeah, he's not dead. Is no, he? he's, no, he's, he's a great guy. He and, is, he's and, really. And, um, you know, is a, he's, he's old school. He is you know? old school. That's the way that my manager describes him. He's, he's old school. I mean, he even. He and I go to lunch sometimes after after a season just to chat and just sort of the state of affairs. And uh, whenever he's introducing me to someone, he's like, "This is one of our stars." You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it's just I don't know. It's there's something. Yeah, there, there is an old, old school Hollywood. About it. We about we it. had a really good relationship. I think we, it was sort of severed when I renegotiated. So when you were listening to the Tom podcast, yeah, what did you what did you get from it? Were you was it exciting? Was it like oh my god? I just like hearing the stories because there's such a similarity between the journeys. Listening to the titular character of a long running comic book show and just his experiences and 
talking about some of the crew members that are still there or you know glenn winter glenn was, winter yeah you know went and, off to direct supergirl and a bunch of stuff yeah. great guy what a nice guy he basically set the template for our show he was the director of photography for the pilot and then he directed the 16th episode of season one and created this transition shots between the either between scenes or for the first five years of the show between the present day and the flashbacks and and again, just sort of the movement of the characters and all the different things that he did photographically became the show. Isn't that something? Yeah. And he was the DP on that, right? Did he direct it? He directed it. He directed he, the pilot. No, he. David Nutter directed the pilot. David Nutter directed it. He directed, he directed, directed every pilot. He directed everything. One of the things that he said to me when he hired me, because he told me that I had the job several days before I officially had the job, before before I'd been approved by, by Warner Brothers and by the CW, and... He was like, I found Tom Welling and I found Jared and Jensen. And I, and it was just like, you're right. Yeah, I'd, of course. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, <laughs> he's amazing. The way that like the, the energy and the spirit that he brings to the pilots, but no, Glenn directed the 16th episode and you know, like you're the pilots, one thing, but you have 17 days and however many millions of dollars. And then it becomes something else when you get into the actual production and it wasn't really until Glenn stepped in in episode 16 that we kind of knew what we had and how we had to do it. Right. Did you like, did you think this is going to be a hit where you, I mean, we were supposed to never think like that, but did you think it just feels like they're putting some money behind this and this is what the world needs right now and this stuff's working and. It felt like it was going to be a hit. It felt good. I mean, I remember seeing the pilot and showing it to my friends the day that it got picked up. And, and they blew you. Yeah. All your friends every blew sing, you every after single the one of them. <laughs> no, I mean, it starts and they're, they're all excited. But then in the second act, there's this scene where I am being tortured and I murder these, I chase down and murder these three guys. It gets dark. It gets real dark yeah. real fast. And I snap a guy's neck at the end of it. And my cousin Robbie pauses it right when it goes to commercial and he goes what the fuck <laughs> and i was like okay i think we're headed in the right direction isn't that something because yeah. you had done a lot of work like you were on hong right yep. you were on you were always doing series and movie of the weeks and just like doing a bit of everything you know you're yeah. out there you're hustling and doing your thing and like and then boom this is the big yeah the big show right i got, was a big show for me i got nine jobs before i got arrow moving from moving to la in 2010 beverly hills 90210 beverly hills 90210 right? that was a, that was an critically important one because that was the same casting director as arrow who was the casting director david rapaport he's done all and of they the, called you in they said i want Stephen amell to come in here for this part i was the first guy who auditioned first guy the auditioned. First guy. i was the 700th guy who oh, auditioned really? for like they i was an <laughs> afterthought Stephen. No one thought of me. No, that's not true. Kathleen Lettery was always a big. You you need that. You need that champion. You need, you need somebody in your court, wherever you are, that just like can say, "Hey, I believe in him. He could do it." And I was always doing comedies, right? And you probably like. I mean, I did a lot of comedy. Hung was a comedy. Right. Role was a comedy. Um, uh, I did the like, show back in Toronto called Rent a Goalie. That was a comedy. <laughs> right. Um, that you was yeah. hockey. Uh, I played hockey growing up. Yeah. So you, can you still get on skates and float around? Uh, you should come with me on like a Monday. We could we could rent the ice out. Okay. There's a couple of guys I know, and we could just like get a couple goalies and just shoot around, skate. You should start getting into hockey. That's my sport. I know. And you're a Canadian. You I need know. to. You are a Canadian, right? I Toronto, am, yeah. Toronto. And you're a big Maple Leafs fan. I'm a Kings fan. 
But you're a big Maple Leafs fan. Mm-mm. Not anymore. No. no. What about the old days? Wendell no, Clark, any, no. Ty Domi. Look, I'm 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 born in '81, and the the Leafs had two good years. They in '92 and '93 they made it to the conference finals, and I was in on those playoff runs. And that was that was Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark, yeah. and and then Matt Sundin came on the team, and I was a fan, kind of right? right. But when I moved to LA, I got season seats for the Kings with my cousin Robbie, and. We, you know, we had a great year the first year in 2011, and then in 2012 they yep. had a com- utterly mediocre season, and then they just ran through the league, right? And won the cup, and I was in the building, and that's transformative. You're a fan. That was forever. it. Well, Luke's a real close friend, Luke Robitaille, yeah. and he was he was on the show, and it's pretty fascinating actually when you're talking to athletes and the same passion they have for you know what we have passion for acting and all mm-hmm. this stuff and um, his stories and how hard it is because being an actor it's like you know you get you get it's a lot of luck luck's, yeah. a, luck's a commodity of preparation and opportunity but like it's hard to get breaks you could be working or not working there's millions of great actors out there not maybe millions but a lot mm-hmm. and same thing with hockey he got drafted but that didn't mean he made the team and he had to go you know the first uh camp he, he they're like you got to get tougher next yeah. time he got tougher he started a fight got laid out they go stop fighting <laughs> she goes went to another camp and it was just like it's everything's hard but you got to work at it but um but I only got Arrow because Hung got canceled. Is that true? Yeah. The third season of Hung did better ratings, from my understanding, than the first couple of seasons of Hung, and it was very well received, critically, but they basically wiped the comedy slate in December of 2011. Were you bummed at the time? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I was working on private practice at the time, uh, which was the first job that I ever got as an offer and was ironically working with uh, Amy Brenneman, who was my love interest, who worked with Tom and he was her love That's interest. That's right. And she's like, you're going out for this show, Arrow? She's like, you're going to get it. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's <laughs> like, "She's like, Tom Welling got Superman because of me. All right, you're going to get the Green <laughs> Arrow because of me. But if it doesn't get canceled, I'm, not av- I'm just not available. I can't, right. I can't go do it. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. And I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Do you remember that audition? Do you remember like when you auditioned for Arrow? Like, you know, we, we what I call false bravado. Like, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's just like you, you sometimes, do you ever fake that toughness? Like I'm confident I'm this, but sometimes inside you're going, oh my God, I'm shitting my pants. I felt very at ease during the audition. I remember every bit of it. So it turns out that Greg Berlanti, who shepherds all of these projects, it was at his office on the WB lot, and he had said to David Rappaport and some of the EPs that were in there, going back to my office, come get me if someone's interesting. And so, of course, I get in there. David Nutter's in there as well. And I read the first two scenes, and he's just leaning real far forward in his seat and staring at me with this sort of weird grin on his face. You're he goes, the guy. He said, do you mind waiting outside for a second? I said, okay. And they went to Greg's office and I'm like, Greg, we have the guy. And Greg was like, you guys are just excited. You don't have the fucking guy. It's, you, it's been 10 minutes. And David came back out. Was this before you read or after you read? This was after I read. After you read. And David uh, came back out in the hallway and grabbed me. And I went back into the room and all of a sudden there were 11 or 12 more people in there. Did including, you have to read again or no? Yeah. And, the, oh. and, I'm, and I'm looking for the note. What do you guys want me to do? I mean, what do you want me to do different? And David said, could you uh, start the second scene 
facing away from us and then turn around and I go, mm-hmm, is that it? And he goes, he goes, so they are looking he, at goes he goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I did it again. And again, no notes. Were you having fun? Or you I, kinda... I was having fun. It, I mean, it was a very serious scene, but I was, I was, I was having fun. Sure. And then they're like, okay, thank you. And I left and I got a call from my agent or I called my agent. You need to work on your ass, Stephen. Is that what your agent said? And I'm like, I, I know that this is not how this works, but I'm pretty sure that I just got that job in there. And Testiel came through within an hour. And then David brought me back a couple of times for my audition with Peter Roth and the rest of the WB team, which is a very unique audition. I don't know how it was for you, but you, you're not, it's not an audition room. You're walking into an office, like an office space with windows and all that stuff. And it's more about the way that he framed it to me was like, imagine that you're walking out on the tonight show. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for you to come into the room, be a little bit outsized and stare everyone down and be a, Sell it. And be a leading man when you walk in there. And I remember Jesus, walking- Jesus, I he, never thought of it like that. And, and David also said to me, Peter Roth is a hugger. But she oh, is. Boy. So he goes, he, goes, he goes, walk in there. He goes, give him a big hug. And I did. And he goes, Stephen, I hear you're Canadian. And I said, not today, Mr. Roth, not today. <laughs> and, the, and the room laughed. And, I could, and David just like looked at me with two thumbs up and like wild eyes. He's, so the, I don't think it, frankly, I don't think it fucking mattered what I did after that. Like being able to walk in the like room. It was like he liked and, you. You were yeah. likable. Yeah. You were a leading man. Do you remember, like, look, you, you, like you said, you'd only done nine things, which were a lot. Mm-hmm. You're doing Hong, but you hadn't been a leading man in a series. And so the deal, as I know this, what networks will do, what they will do is try to give you as little as possible because they think you haven't been a leading man. So we're going to give you whatever. And if it's a hit, we'll give you more money. Did you feel like it was uh, the deal was you didn't care what the deal was? I didn't really care what the deal was. If, if they had said you're going to pay us two hundred dollars an episode and you didn't, you're work you didn't, the you first didn't, year for free. Your agent, the lawyers, worked the, the deal that they could. It was a fair deal. I had no quote. I'd never been a series regular before. I was a series regular on Hung technically, but I wasn't going to be bumped up to a series regular price until the fourth season, if there was a fourth season, which there wasn't. Uh, yeah. But it was a very, very fair deal. I mean, the first thing they did was try to hire me as a Canadian. Oh, that's a no-no. And that was a big no-no. Say, explain what that is. I mean, if you do that, you're getting paid. Less money and you're not getting any residuals. No, could you imagine it? No residuals no, at I, all if you're a Canadian. No, they I pay cannot. Canadian, and that's what they try. Isn't that something? Well, I mean, that's, the, that's, that's the, cruel. That's the first conversation that they have. And my agent shut it down immediately. And basically the, the business affairs person, you know, comes back semi-embarrassed and goes, you know, I got to ask for, I got to ask because if I can save the company money, I'll get more money. That's right. And that's what it is. When did you know your value? You knew that this show was a hit. You go, uh, usually it's after season two, you renegotiate. That's when I think we did it. And you're like, you know what? I got to change some things around because, you know, when you Mm -hmm. first dive into a show, you're like, I'll do whatever. Yeah, of course. Force my call. Bring me in at whatever hour. I'm malleable. I'm. And then it comes a time where you're like, no, I got to get sleep better. You guys got to be ready. Like I'm ready with my lines. Mm -hmm. You guys got to be ready on set. Mm -hmm. All these things happen. They sound like they're trivial to people who aren't in the industry. And they'll sound like, oh, come on. Just it's it's acting. How hard it could be. But when you're a leading man, which you are. And you're doing 16-hour days. There comes a time you're like, no, you can't force me tomorrow. That happened very early for me. That happened in episode eight. 
Do you remember? Exa- you remember exactly? I remember exactly where it was in the early days. We we didn't do a lot of reshoots, but they were not happy with a couple elements of episode five. They couldn't figure out how to how how to have Oliver interact as the Green Arrow with people that he knew. Which it sounds really simple. Give him a fucking voice modulator. But that was like the seventh idea that got kicked around. So we tried a bunch of scenes. Were there they, accents? You're trying to like, hello, fellas. No, it was like, you know, one of, the, one of the ways they did it when I first started interacting with Laurel is they had us like 60 feet apart from one another. And we were wearing earpieces and whispering and stuff like it, it makes it, it makes no sense now. But we had been working six day weeks for a couple of weeks. Like brutal. Yeah, coming in Sundays and doing that. And I'm in the Arrow costume. I've got the fucking eye makeup on. And it was 11, 15 at night or whatever. The second assistant director said to me, your call time tomorrow is 11, 15. And I said, I'm not done for the day. I can't. Base camp is 20 minutes away. I gotta take my eye makeup off. That's I'm not my turnaround. It's I not won't. my turnaround. I'm 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 exhausted. I'm I'm gonna take my turnaround. And he says, contractually, your call time is eleven fifteen, and I don't have to give you any explanation. And I said, okay, I'm gonna tell you this right now, and I'm gonna do it in front of people so that everybody knows this. I'm gonna get in the car tomorrow, at the exact time that I get in the car tonight, and not a minute sooner. And if you had handled this with a little bit more tact, maybe we could have done something, but you didn't. (laughs) So when everybody asks why we're starting later than everyone wants to, you need to tell them that it's your fault. Wow. And you do get pushed around, but I, I recognize my value. I think, I think pretty early on, but when you get into that first renegotiation, it's weird because it, because it becomes, I mean, it gets personal in a weird way. It does. It? it does get a little personal. The only issue that I had in the first couple of years was I think that up until the end of the second season, I was the fourth or fifth highest paid cast member because I had no what? because I, I had no quote. I had no. But quote. You're the lead. I know, but you know, right, right, it's, right. It's no, just right. the way that it, I think that's the way it was even in Smallville. I was sure. more than Tom in the first yep. year, but then of course, yeah, things yeah, changed. I, remember and I had with, no problem with him getting more than me. The guy right. was working every day, and he was the lead. I was the second. So they they gave me what what they term as a gift after season two. So it's them raising my salary without asking for anything in return. And my thing was very simple. I was just I just said, you know, quite frankly, I think that I I, I work way more than everybody else. And and especially in season one and season two, it was it was way more disproportionate than it is now. And I think that somebody was making X and they're like, okay, your new salary is going to be X minus like $1,250 per episode. And I go, what are you doing? That's not the most amount of money. And they said, yeah, no, it's the most amount of money over the course of 23 episodes because the person above you is not all episodes produced. I was like, Jesus. okay. Technically, you're right, but Here's that, what leaves I want. A, that leaves a s- s- little bit of a shitty taste <laughs> in my mouth. Just a little. It's it, You know, it's amazing you say this because I don't care where you work, mm-hmm. whether you're working a nine to five, whether you're working at, like I worked at a grocery store, I worked at McDonald's. Did you ever work at McDonald's, Rob? No. <laughs> Did you work at any fast food restaurant or any restaurant? No, I worked at a Great Clips, though. A what? Great Clips. What's that? They cut hair. Did you, were you a hair no, guy? I, I like clean the combs. And you clean the shit up? Work the cashier. I just... That's interesting. I didn't know that. That's Steven, you're cool. going to get a kick out of that. And, yeah. a, and a movie theater. I was a projectionist. Really? Huh? You knew that. Yeah, I did. I knew that. So what I'm saying is if your company is doing really well and you're working really hard, it's just common sense. It's like, hey, 
The company's doing really well. I'm an integral part of that. Uh, I'm a hard worker. I show up every day. I, I do what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it's a no-brainer is what the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. To me, if, the, if business is booming... Why wouldn't I want my employees to benefit and be happy to come to work every day and say, hey, and not try to say, let's use your Canadian thing. Let's do mm-hmm. It's always business. As you, and they always say you have to separate business from we're actors and we're sensitive and we take everything personally. <laughs> and so it is, it is difficult. It's also difficult to argue with Warner Brothers television because they're prolific yeah. and they've been in business forever. We'll replace you. Well, sure. We'll give some I mean, other guy eye makeup. Sure. I, I'm the the entity of Arrow is bigger than me. It's I am replaceable. You're every, not replaceable. Every, They're not replacing you. They wouldn't replace you even after a season. They know the charm. They know whatever the reason is successful. It's called Arrow. It's about you. Sure. And so you have to know that value at the same time instead of not being cocky. But you're like, hey, I'm Arrow. Yeah. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to ask for too much. But I also want to get what I deserve. Yeah. When I did my renegotiation, it was. It was not the most um, fun. Yeah, well, it wasn't fun. It actually, fun. it actually, it actually wasn't fun because I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who have been in similar positions, and I knew what the actual numbers were, right? So when someone's telling you me, you knew Tom's number. I yeah, <laughs> I actually did. You did. Yeah, I'm very good friends with with Jared Padalecki, and he shared information with me that Tom shared with him. And it's and it's everyone Word trying around. It's everyone trying to help one another out, right. right? And and I have gone on to share that information with people that I think it might be beneficial to, right? But when you're hearing final offer, I heard final offer, and I went, "That's cool. I'm good with my current deal." And then there was dead silence for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then we were about to shoot our big crossovers that we do that I didn't have a contract for. Because I hadn't signed a contract now, for them. You started when you say crossovers. This is you doing Flash. Supergirl, Flash, Legends, Legends. Now, are you doing that during the season? Yeah. Now, are they shooting the scenes where you are? What do you mean? Like, uh, if you're crossover, you're doing a crossover episode. You're doing an episode of Supergirl, right? But it's just you have a couple scenes in there. It, well, it started out. Oliver and Diggle and Felicity went to Central City, and then. Barry and Iris and Cisco came to Star City, and that and that was it. And it was that was still difficult though because they just treated it like a normal run of production. But the schedules are staggered, and Flash is starting their eighth episode. Well, we're still on our seventh episode, but then they're getting into their ninth episode before we're done our eighth episode. And because the crossovers would happen in the eighth episode, and there was just no wiggle room. Um, it wasn't until this year that they started building in down days to the production. So certain productions would just go dark for a couple of days so that you could actually move the actors around. Jesus. So you're do- so you would you fly to LA and do something and then they fly to you and they're all in Vancouver. It's all in Vancouver. All, all, all the shows Vancouver. are in Vancouver. They're all in Vancouver. The first year of Supergirl when it was on CBS was in LA. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then they moved to Vancouver. And how do they do that? They're like, well, I guess whatever your salary is, you get for that show. They have to put it in their budget. That's not how they wanted to do things. Actually, <laughs> they do because I've never heard of anything like that. Like I was never asked. We were the kind of the first show, right, before everybody. So I was there wasn't any crossovering. Well, my feeling was the first because the very first time that I did it was going and doing the pilot of the Flash, and it was one scene. It doesn't matter if you're getting one scene; you're getting one scene of an established character that I that I am that that I'm used to getting. X number of dollars to portray in an episode of television. Right. So 
Um, so that there was a little bit of animosity, but when it actually came for a proper renegotiation, I decided that I thought it would be advantageous for me to take a slightly lower amount on crossovers because ultimately my financial incentive on the show revolves around my episodic fee. And so I'm only going to be going to do the Flasher Supergirl for there's only so many hours in the day. Right. Maybe right? a day of doing stuff. But now, amazingly, it's just turned into full it just turned into full episodes the way that they shoot the crossovers. Is it hard to keep track? Is it hard? It's very hard. That that's that's four scripts that I have to read three times. And and I always take some time during the crossovers to Oh my god. Take a second because you're also talking about four different directors too. And one through line of a story. And you know, I always take some time with the directors to just go, okay, okay. Where are we? Uh-huh. Which show? Mm-hmm. That's gonna be hour three. Yep. Okay, what just happened? And just make sure that I know where I am. Holy shit. Yeah. It's hard enough being like I could barely be in one set going, Where are we? Yeah. What are we doing? It's like we're at the Luther Mansion. I mean, yeah, so if you're God bless. I love going to other sets. The only it's refreshing, right? Right. Yeah, it really is. The only thing that I would change about the crossovers is that I would off of the story, I would create one master list of characters and I would give everybody numbers. Right? Like right. And, and if people don't know what you're talking about, on um, you know, on Arrow, I'm number one and David Ramsey is number two and so on and so forth. But when I go over to Legends, um, Your number? I'm number I'm number seventy seventy seven, right? right? And <laughs> you know where you, you know, are. And I, you know, I would be on Legends, and it would be advantageous not just for me, but for the entire crossover as a whole. To within the context of that episode, if I have the most to do in the crossover, and I did this year, treat me like number one, as in prioritize my time and get me out of there so that I can either go to another production or be rested for the following day. Right. But each show prioritizes their own actors, and that's fine. I get it. I just would do it differently. What's your favorite show to crossover on? Favorite group of actors? Well, I know that's hard to ask you that. No, Flash is my favorite show to go to because there's something special about doing scenes with with Grant. There's always, Grant's such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't really know each other, but I, yeah, I wanted to get him on here because he just seems like such a great guy. He's, you know what? I just love, I love doing scenes with him. I mean, there's just something about the, the dynamic. Re- yeah. Yeah. Different energies. Different, yeah. like fun energies. Yeah. You do 22 episodes a year, is that right, still? We do 22 this year. We did 23 for the first six years. Plus crossovers. Plus crossovers. So you're looking at 28, something, 30 episodes some, a year. You you like work, that. I'm guessing you work 300 days, it seems like, out of 365. What is it? Oh, God. I wouldn't, I don't even know. And it's ironic, too, because when I first moved to LA, I based success it completely revolved around number of days worked. That was my goal in 2011 was to spend 100 days on set. And my goal was never that. It's how few days right. I could be on set. If, well, I, if I worked in an episode and got paid the same for one day, that's a winner. Sure, but I wasn't but but it, <laughs> Rob's it, looking at me like I'm a lazy Well, you're fuck. a winner when you're you're a winner when you're a series regular and you have an episodic fee. And right. you know, but but when you're not, when you're a guest star, yeah, you get you know, sure. you, you get paid you want to be time. you want to you want to be on set. 
Well, they always say, right, the, with an actor, it's like, I want to work. I just want to work. I want to work. All right, you're hired. When do I have off? Mm-hmm. That's what I really want to know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you're always working. Here, Tom and I, when we were talking, uh, we were talking about, would you, could you do this now? He goes, no, I could not do this now. I'm 45. He's mm-hmm. 40. Like, you, you started this when you were 28? Well, I moved to LA when I was 28. I started, I got Arrow when I was 30. All right, 30. Do yeah. you think, like, now that you're getting old, how old are you now? 37. You're 37. Do you think you could have started Arrow right now? I wouldn't take Arrow right now. Why is that? Because my life has changed. I mean, my life is you in a L- kid? my life you is in L.A. I have a daughter. My daughter's married. Four. Yeah, my life my life is different. I understand. I understand why I'm still doing it. But if it ended, and somebody came to me and said, "All right, we have a we have a lead role for you on a television show," I will go before you tell me anything. Where does it shoot? And if they Vancouver. said if they said Vancouver, I'd go, okay, but when and how many episodes? And if the number was north of ten, I would say no. If you said ten episodes, it's Netflix, it's Vancouver. Ten fine. episodes, it starts fine. it starts shooting in in right. in June. It's Excellent. Just too much. Thank you very much. Did you now how long have you been married? We will be six years this Christmas. Six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And everything's great. It's great. Is marriage easy? Yeah. It's pretty. It's, it seems pretty easy. We we yeah. Because you were married before. Yeah, and uh, you know that was for a few that years. That sucked. Now why did it <laughs> suck? Because look, here's a, here's my. I, I think I'm. I don't want to say I'm a pessimist. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I will say that you know I have this friend Shira, and she's like, I just don't understand this dating thing. I go, let me tell you something. Ninety nine percent of the time it doesn't work out, and the one time it does, yeah. 50% don't. So yep. you have a 0.5 chance of, and I know it sounds bad, but I'm like, you can't put so much pressure on yourself. And so you're a young guy, you get married. You got to think in the back of your head, like, I want this to be forever, but what, how many things are forever? I mean, we got married for the wrong reasons. And I don't have any animosity over the situation anymore, but this was a girl that I met in Toronto when I was 21, 22. And we got engaged when I was 25 or something like that. Jesus, and, man. And then got married when I was when I was 26 and we went through really interesting experiences where a, I just think that we got married for the wrong reasons. I, what were those reasons? I don't really know. Just because of maybe just, the idea of it? it. Just the idea, just kind of the, 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 the romance old school of it all. And yeah. Right. And then I started struggling with acting and she started realizing how much she loved business. Right. I personally think that a lot of the early part of our relationship was her wanting to date someone that her father would disapprove of because he was so business centric. And then over the course of our relationship, she, I think, realized A, how much she was like her father and B, how much she admired him. And so he passed away tragically in 2009 and that put our troubles in a fucking microwave. And a lot of the things that she found attractive in me, she didn't find attractive anymore. And uh, Did that break your heart? Were it you- totally broke my heart. It, it really did. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Because, you know, I went to LA in 2009 and I came back and I, I will never forget, I came back and, you know, I had no money. And I mean, no money at all. Like I was living off of 25 bucks a week that I could stretch at Ralph's to, you know, get 
mac and cheese and all that, you know, all that shit. And uh, I came back and I'll never forget going back into our apartment and uh, all of my stuff that I'd left there had been shoved in a fucking drawer that it was too big for, like all my stuff, and just like hastily shoved. And I remember going, oh man, like you didn't want any reminder of me around the house. And then it just, it ended real fast after that. I mean, did did you feel like if you look back and, you know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. do you feel like you were doing everything you could? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm equally to blame for sure. You know, I was, I was involved in acting because I wanted to be famous and that, pays that that will you'll never get there right you know some people might right but yeah but that's what you're doing it for it's yeah first of all it's not healthy and i think we've all done it. anybody who says they haven't thought that when you're 18 or 19 or 20 you're starting out going i want to be famous i want to fucking be a big movie i want to work with denzel there's everyone goes through that but then you have to go through like do i really love what i'm doing yeah do i really where's the passion what's the purpose yeah you know so it was it was after um Man, I got back in like early December and we were we were separated and, you know, like just done within like six days. You know, that numbness, right? Yeah. That numbness that won't go away, that you're like talking to somebody going, I need to lie down. I think I'm really tired. Yeah. It's depression. It's like, uh, it's like a crush. Like I was, it's just numbing. Like yeah. you're like something, you died. She had moved out and was staying at her dad's house and- I went over there and on a Friday night and basically beg, begged her. I was like, I'll do whatever you want. I'll stop acting. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do whatever you want. Oh my God. Please take me back. And she just looked at me and she just goes, no, just cold, uh, flat. I want to fucking cry right now. Dude. I'm flat, not even kidding. No. I want to fucking cry. That's. And I had, <laughs> and I'd given her, I'd given her a, her wedding ring was a family heirloom and I just looked at her and I go, all right, okay, give it back. And she gave me the wedding ring back that night. And then I walked home and I remember going and I had to teach a fucking spin class the following morning. <laughs> oh my segue. God. And, um, Faster, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember seeing my mom and I, I saw my mom. She goes, how are you? And I go, bad. It's over. It's totally done. Like a fifth grade relationship. It's done. And did you cry in front of your mom? Hard. Wept. Like the, like the, you can't catch your breath crying. But after that cry, we walked back to my apartment and I phoned up two of my buddies that had really been uh, marginalized because my ex didn't particularly like them or didn't like one of them and it affected my relationship with him and my other body was getting married the following weekend and both me and my ex were in the wedding parties so I needed to talk with him as well and by the end of that night I felt like I was I you felt again like part was, of you was back yeah yeah it still took a while though it took about it took about a year and a half for me to go for a run and not when the endorphins started firing in my brain, get really fucking pissed off that the whole thing happened. Like really, really mad. Yeah. Do, do you have like, I mean, you seem like a pretty even keeled guy. Did you ever suffer from any kind of depression or anxiety? Did you ever get any of that? Did it carry on through like when you as an actor with the hard times? And um, I think I was depressed towards the end of, towards the end of our marriage in 2009 because i gained about 
10, 15 pounds. And you didn't give a shit. It wasn't that. It was just like there was something not working with my body. You know what I mean? Like my metabolism, like I was stuck. Like I was like emotionally and mentally and spiritually constipated. It's scary. And probably constipated as well. You know? I always feel And I know this because by that Monday, after us breaking up on a Friday, despite the fact that I was meeting all my buddies and going out for a Canadian beer, I swear to God, I lost those 12 pounds. They were gone. They shed immediately. Like it was like, a weight had been lifted, which it was self-inflicted. It had nothing to do with her. Yeah. Um, yeah, just not innocent in the in the uh, in the process, but it just it just went away. Just well, like you that. feel like your uh, libido kind of disappears too. It totally disappears. It's like almost like when you go through a breakup. I you could put uh, a twenty-five-year-old Cindy Crawford in front of me, and I'm like, yeah, listen, man, I, Cindy, I don't know your skin's gorgeous and all. I'll buy some skin products, but uh, what am I, Wilford Brimley right now? Uh, Quaker Oats. Uh, but you know, I, that's how it is, man. Yeah. I, I feel like I just, I, I, I just feel so empty. And yeah, I remember going going out a couple of nights later, and again, it was like this tour that I went on to see buddies that I hadn't really spent a lot of time with. And you can, you know, your friends can also tell when you phone them up and you say, "I don't care what the fuck you're doing. We have to go out and get a beer." And they're like, "Okay." Um, and I remember a, a girl like left a note for me with her number on it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm back." <laughs> Really? Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. It. Isn't it? It's like the Rocky story. Yeah. You got, this is going to go away. Mm-hmm. So let's get rid of this as soon as we can and stop fucking around. Like you have so much going for you, whatever that is. Get up in the morning, change your routine, go for a beer with your buddies, go whatever. Hang out with Rob, you know, hang out yeah. with a 29 year old. You know, it's like, this is, this is the kind of shit <laughs> that, I mean, because life, life is, it's, it sounds so cliche. It's, it's fucking short, dude. Yeah. It just passes. It goes by so fucking fast. Yeah. And you look and, at this stuff, and then you found your wife relatively what a couple years later. Yeah, we met in October of 2011. They're, so two years later. Two years later. Well, where'd you meet her? Less than two years. She is on. She guest starred on my favorite episode of television ever, Sanford and Son. The That's episode right. where uh, they steal from. No, what is? Yeah, it? no. It's the, it's the season four finale of Mad Men. It's called Tomorrowland. And she plays this girl that comes into the office and is so striking that it, she basically arrests the office. But you didn't meet her there. <clears throat> you weren't on Mad Men. I rewatch my favorite television shows all the time. I find it therapeutic. I find it uh, important as an actor to, having seen something, focus on different things, be it an individual performance or photography or whatever. But I was rewatching it, and I paused it, and I go, okay, who the fuck is this person? I went on IMDb, and I looked around. Of course. Yeah. And- There's nothing wrong with that. That might as well be a dating app. If you see somebody pretty, people think, I don't know, I asked my friend, is that creepy? If, like, you know, we met, or I, or I see her, I'm like, hey, what's up with that? Oh, look at that. She's single. I wonder who, anybody knows her. She seems like my type. Yeah. That's not creepy, is it, Rob? No. Well, you said that with a little bit of uh, reservation. No. I mean, look, it's so hard to date in this fucking town. Yep. So, I mean, I think it's okay, whatever, as long as it's not crazy. You meet somebody, hey, what's your last name? Oh, cool, we had a good time here. I'm not going to ask you for your number because that's too soon, but you know what? Maybe I'll look you up on Facebook. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. No, I, I, so I looked her up, and then, and then you get her name, you Google her, you find her Twitter. She's in LA, not a surprise. Mm-hmm. And she put out a tweet advertising that she was going to be at um, some event that Adidas was putting on at the Sayers Club in hollywood uh you went i was going you were already going i was already going i have no reason to lie 
I was already going. Were you? Uh, it was like you had to look as good as you could. Not really. No, just I. I was just I was going to the but event. You wanted to meet her. I wanted to meet her, and I was going to the event with my buddy Johnny, and um, she worked for AEG, so did w- some work with Sayers and and stuff like that at the time, and uh, just saw her, introduced myself, and said I thought you were great on Mad Men, and then walked away. And she gave me your number. After you walked away? Hey, Steven! Yeah, later in the night, she gave you your number. And when was the first date after that night? Maybe about a... Well, I think I had her and a couple of her girlfriends swing by my place for football that Sunday. uh, Like, so three days later. And then I think I took her out for dinner that week. And then we had, you know, a whirlwind romance that was fantastic. And then... That February, I got cast in Arrow, and it got it got rocky for a little bit because it's like, okay, um, everything's changed. Everything's now. about to. You're change. going to Vancouver. I'm going You're to filming every day. To say nothing of the fact that I'm going to Vancouver. Yeah. And so, what are we doing? Yeah. You know. And you didn't know. We didn't know. So it so it was kind of you know on again, off again, and uh, and then everything just crystallized in the. You in, kept going back for a reason. Like, yeah. I just. There's something about her that's unlike anyone else. Yeah. And that's also a, a danger zone, I think, too. It's like, that could be a great story, which it is. And you got married and everything's yeah. been great. But there's also that where you go back because you think of, like, the passion. You think about the love. You think about the fun. But you forget about the fucking bananas that's times. Right. She's and the bananas so, times, as long as those aren't too strong. But she's so easygoing, Michael, that she, you mentioned anxiety earlier. She's so easygoing that it gives me anxiety. Because I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that anybody can be that relaxed. You envy right? that? Do you envy her relaxation? I do envy it. That's one of the things that I get fucking anxiety about. Is I envy it, and, and my friends joke with me that I have horrible cases of FOMO, and uh, I do. And she's just super easygoing. And since I become a dad, I I do I battle with anxiety every every once in a while. Now, what happens when you get anxiety? I was doing a ropes course. In um, Morea, which is in French Polynesia, over the Christmas break this year, we always go away for Christmas break because it it's within the context of the show. It's my guaranteed holiday time, so yeah. go somewhere warm. And I'm up on this ropes course, and it's a ropes course in French Polynesia. It you get like a two second tutorial, and then they just pop you up there. And I was 40 feet in the air, having to cross this fucking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom bridge. And my wife and my buddy had had gone on ahead and I'm up there and I, I was just like, what, what am I doing up here? What the fuck am I doing up here? I'm a husband and a father. And by the seventh time, a crew member says, be careful, you're my mortgage. You actually realize they actually mean that. They mean that. And so I'm up here and I'm going, oh my God, I have hundreds of people who rely on me. Why am I 40 feet in the air on a shitty ropes course in French Polynesia? And at that point, I I, I couldn't breathe. Like I felt like I, wow. I felt like I was having a heart attack and I had an immediate flop sweat. So I feel like there's this giant, flight kind of. giant weight on my chest, but I also couldn't stop my hands from shaking. And I had to wait up there for a guy to basically manually take me through the rest of the ropes course because I was 
and it's like zip lines because I was as far away as you could get before you could get back and get off. And this is unbeknownst to your wife or that's right. She has no, she's ahead of you. She has no idea. She has no idea. I have no problem with heights and or didn't have problems with heights. And now all of a sudden I'm starting to have problems with heights. And I got back and again, I'm drenched in sweat and wouldn't you know it, uh, Arrow is one of the most popular shows in Morea. Like eighty five percent. Everybody's looking at you. Eighty five percent of the people on that island knew me. Didn't matter age, gender, wow, whatever. They they knew me. Overwhelming right now. And I and I'm now around a bunch of people who are about to do a ropes course, and people kept coming up and asking for photos, and I'm just sitting there like handshaking, just can't get my can't get a grip, and I, and that I was having a panic attack. When your wife came over, did you kind of cry and let go, or she was just like, "Are you?" are you okay? And I was like, I just need to get out of here right now. Do you feel like, did that ever happen again? Because I, I feel like when I had my first anxiety attack, I kept thinking, when's this going to happen again? Mm-hmm. When is this going to happen again? And then sure enough, out of the blue, it happens. Um, yeah. Or is it just the heights thing? Is it just one of those moments that just happened? It was coincidence. I don't, I don't know. No, I, I, some, 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 sometimes it happens. You know, I, I think sometimes I give, too much of myself to you know fans and i you know i sort of i sort of give people too much of a of a window into me and every once in a while somebody will write something that i find deeply hurtful and i can't shut off my ability to give a fuck about it even if this person is totally wrong even if all that they're saying is is just just an outward projection of them feeling completely inadequate about their life. It really affects me, and I think the I think I Do let you it want to I, help them. Yeah, I no, but I think I let it affect me because it motivates me to when someone writes something positive to to give them that positivity back. I don't think that I can take in the positive and do something effective with it unless I'm also willing to let the negative affect me a little bit. Yeah. And so something like this will happen and it will, ju- it will consume me. So you have to learn how to disconnect a little more. Yeah. If possible. Yeah. And that's a good quality to have mm-hmm. caring so much about your fans. And if, I mean, I know a lot of people who don't read their letters, who don't read their tweets or don't, sure. and you have so many millions of followers that how could you read everything? Yeah. You post something, you can't read 10,000 comments, but you'll read a couple or you'll read whatever because that can be consuming. And, you know, I've, I, it's easier for me. I don't have millions, but, right. uh, but I definitely feel like it's not, I'm not obligated, but I feel as a human being, like for me, it's happened before where somebody says, I wanted to come see you at the show and now something happened to my grandfather and I'm a mess and this and... Uh, and I and I followed her on Twitter and said, "Follow me." And then she direct messaged me. I go, "What's your address? What's your, mm-hmm. you know?" And I'll do those things, or I'll call somebody, or I'll because I feel like I, if I could do anything to help someone feel better, that's right. That's purposeful. That's I mean, I feel like that's I feel good. Yeah, it makes me feel good to make them feel good. And so that's fine. But if you overdo it and that consumes you, mm-hmm. it, it. I mean, you have a family you have to take care of. You have uh, work that you have to do ten to eleven months a year. You have all right. these things. So hey. I can understand that. That's that's. Well, I mean, but people also say that they want the genuine article, right? People are like, "We like you because you. St- it looks like you're presenting a a reasonable facsimile of what you actually are in real life, right? Yeah. They like it until you make a joke and then somebody takes it way too seriously. And then you recognize that person because you've seen them write like 
personal attacks at your wife or whatever because I look at stuff online Jesus. and you just go, you know what? You're an idiot. You're an so idiot. you'll respond. You'll say, hey, by the way, blah, 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 fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah. There's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling an occasional person to fuck and off. And man, oh, man. That, it's a shit storm. That, it's a shit storm. Do you ever regret it? Like, why did I say something? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? But, but here's the thing. A couple of years ago, Remember, there was like an instance where a kid brought a, a a homemade clock into a school in Texas, and teachers were like, it, "It's ticking," and like it, people it was like an Indian kid, and they thought he was building a bomb. Yeah, they thought he was building a bomb, and man, oh man, like these teachers. I'm sorry, but they did they did the right thing. Like they did the right thing, in my opinion, and they followed protocol. And fine, and it's not a bomb. And I I get I get all of the public support in the aftermath of that for that for that student well deserved and i'm sorry that the whole thing happened as a parent i would want the teachers to do what they did right and if they're wrong and if they're reprimanded because they didn't follow protocol then they deserve what they got but what i didn't enjoy was my wife who is from texas she or i wrote on twitter i'm like you know stereotyping texas isn't really any better than stereotyping this kid the kind of the same, the kind of the same thing, and uh, man, oh man, that that went really, that went really poorly. Just, what I notice about these things is that they devolve away from the original point. Always, that's right? why it's hard to. There's a lot of times when you look. I feel like you are someone that it's obvious that you should say what you want to fucking say. Sure, and you're going to hear it. You're going to get backlash, and you're going to say it. Sure, ninety percent of the time, people are going to love it. He's great. I, I agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But the other part. You're going to get fucking those people that come out yeah. of the woodwork and they'll call me a Jew bastard or they'll do whatever. And, I'm- you know, that's that that's that's fine, too. But but you're saying, like, did you regret saying it? No, I regretted it in this situation that it devolved into someone leaving a link to like a 20 minute video that they put on YouTube about how I didn't understand, couldn't possibly understand what it was like to live as a minority in the United States or in Canada or frankly anywhere because of who I am and what I do and the color of my skin and this. And it was so far away from the original point. It's not what you were saying at all. It's not what I was saying at all. I admire that person's courage to put themselves out there in a public forum and I have no ill will towards them, but I I apologized. And I regret apologizing more than I regret saying it in the first place because I was apologizing for something that that wasn't true in your mind. You're like, I didn't, I'm not racist. I'm not uh, profiling. I'm not no. discriminating. I'm no. just saying, I thought that if I don't care who in your head, if yeah. it's a white kid who had something that was ticking, doesn't matter. Get it. I don't care who it is. It doesn't matter. And it's just taken completely out of context. And I think that's like nowadays, it's like sometimes I feel like tweeting because I read something and I said, take a step back. No, yeah. you're not tweeting anything. You're not getting involved in this. You don't need, your opinion doesn't mean anything. They're not going to give a shit if like Michael Rosenbaum wants to say something about that. Uh, you know, I almost regret saying something about the new star wars movie but i said it anyway in a small little tweet mm-hmm. uh by the way do you, you like the last you like solo i haven't seen i haven't seen any of the the I've last seen the, jedi i've seen the force awakens force awakens i thought that was pretty good i thought jj abrams did a good job yeah i haven't seen the the i haven't seen yeah. a lot you haven't seen a lot you don't watch a lot of movies Mm-mm. what kind of movies you like horror movie fan i like horror movies did you see hereditary Mm-mm. I haven't seen that i watch you know my wife and i have our shows that we watch and i have my shows that i watch but not not getting to the movie theater a ton. Yeah, you probably don't have a lot of time. Mm-mm. What are you going to do after uh, Arrow? What would you like to do? A lot of times you're, you know, I I said I'm taking a break. Would you want? Mm. Would you like to take a year off? No, 
You want to go right back into work? I want to. Yeah. One of the issues that I have, one of the issues that I have with, with the show, and it's just the, it's the, it's the nature of the show. It's not, it's not a new thing is that I don't really have the ability right now to be aspirational elsewhere because of how many episodes it is. And so, you know, I worry sometimes about being the guy that people will think has only ever done Arrow. And I worry that, you know, if I stay on the show until, if I stay on the show through 10 seasons, and I respect people that do that. I have great admiration for Tom staying for 10 years or for Jensen and Jared, you know, going into year 13 or 14 or or whatever it is. I also have respect for you going, you know what? I did seven and I'm good. And it's just, yeah. It's, and it's time to it's time to move on. I worry that if I stick around until I'm 40, is there a chance that I sacrifice the next 25 years of my career because I maybe stayed a little too long? Well, I think, you know, it's – look, I would say my gut is if you're doing seven seasons and you do 10, you're a good-looking, talented guy. I don't think another three years making a lot of money and your family being secure for the rest of their lives and not ever have to worry about anything, and now you're what? You'd be 40? 40. You're you're gonna be. It's a new chapter of your life, and you can make decisions. And and by the way, is it such a bad thing to say, "Hey, I don't have to work anymore if I'm not doing what I want," or maybe produce your own shit, or yeah. hire some good writer to write a great script, or buy something and have it made? There's so many opportunities that I wouldn't look at it like that. I would look at it like I looked at it. Mm-hmm. I looked at it like I can't do anything else. This is seven years of this character, and I have done everything I can for this character. I can't do anymore. I'm not evolving, and I I'm, I feel like I'm a comedian. I feel like I want to be funny. Yeah. I want to do things different. I want to go direct. I want to do all these things. And could I have stayed three more years? Yeah, I just, to me, it wasn't about anything other than I did it. I'm ready to move on. Did you ever go back? I went back for the series finale. Good. And that's because I wanted to do it for the fans. I didn't want them to one day say, why didn't you go back? I want to go. And I wanted to see everybody. It was the last episode. How could you not have Lex Luthor in the final episode of Smallville? So of course I did it. And I I think that was the best decision of my life. Mm -hmm. But I I think it's important to just not think about, well, what's going to happen to my career? I don't think there's a big difference what's happening in your career, 37 to 40. You're not going to look that much different. You're a young looking guy. It's a matter of like, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, how tired are you? If you're fucking really tired and you're just like, I just, I just got to do something else. And it's just like you, the passion isn't there. And you're like, and th- that's different. The passion is still there. A hundred percent. And we have a lot of new blood on the show right now, which I think, I think is important. But uh, you bring up a good point. This is what I have been thinking about. What else does my character have to do? Like what, what else? It, what, Die. That's the only thing left for him to do. Can the arrow die? Sure, he doesn't have superpowers. But, I mean, could... I think the only thing, whether he dies or not, and I find it incredibly difficult to believe that that would ever, that would ever happen. You know what I mean? I don't, know that, I don't know that anyone would allow themselves to be cornered by, like, killing the title character of the I show. I honestly think that would be a great idea. I mean, I think it would be a great... I think if, <laughs> I'm going to get so much heat. No. All I'm saying is this. If, let's say, before I, I'm going to let you finish, but my, my, I'm thinking, what if the last episode of Arrow, whatever that is... Arrow does die, mm-hmm. but then something else can happen. We realize in another show or whatever that he wasn't dead. It doesn't matter. The only thing that is left for him to do, and he doesn't have to die to do this, is he needs to leave a legacy because we have all these other shows that exist. So whether Arrow continued on in the absence of Oliver Queen or someone else took up the mantle of the Green Arrow, um, <sighs> you know, he his has a child. 
Could little sure. arrow also called Laro. He does have a child, but his, he, uh, but okay. he's like twelve on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's twelve. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little girl who's going to be the future of. Who knows? But but I think that I think leaving a legacy is the one box that is left to tick for the character. Well, that's either something you got to think of if you don't do three more years. Have you? Re- are you doing? Or what what are you doing? You're doing season seven. And My that- contract's up after seven. So it's so. It's- so you got to make some decisions here. I think there's going to be some clarity on my future on the show soon. Maybe there's something they could do where it's like, hey, I'm not going to give you another three years or two years what you want. But you say, hey, let's do a year-by-year thing. If I do seven, let's talk about eight. Now there's not going, oh, my God, i got two more years of this or three more years. No, actually, I think that um, it was a very interesting feeling once we were picked up for season seven because all of a sudden I saw the finish line. Even if it's many, many years from now, that will be up to me and not up to the studio who has had me under contract willingly. I signed it. Right. I have no regrets that I signed sure. it. But every year it's like, we're going to pick up another season. You have to come back, right? Season eight would not be that. So we're talking about it. I like it. What would you like to say to all the fans out there who have been supporting you? I mean, you got a, one of the biggest fan bases I've ever seen a show like this. It's, it's just extraordinary. It's extraordinary, man. It's it's incredible. And all all the people that I've met, the people that you know have been along for the entire ride. Um, John Barrowman during the first season said, "You know, you think that your show is the most popular when it's out and when it's on all the billboards and when it's you know in the public consciousness, but that's not true at all. It becomes more popular year over year because you get people who." you know, spend the better part of a decade with you in their living room yeah. and you become like family. And then reintroduce it to, uh, it, yeah. To you know, it, yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I, I, or like, or like the, you know, the kid that says to his mom, you know, I turned my mom onto the show and my mom, and like, I went back to the beginning and my mom and I sat there and binge watched six seasons on Netflix. And it's really extraordinary. People are, um, people are so kind and so thoughtful and, um, I'm just so lucky to be involved in something that has been so captivating for so many people. And the stuff that they've shared with me is, um, I mean, it's life-changing, man. And man, and boy, oh boy, I'm sure you know this. It's one thing in Canada and the United States. It's an entirely different thing when you go to like, I mean, I was just in the, in the Maldives. Jesus. And it was like, Every everybody knew the show. Yeah. Everybody knew the show. I was in Istanbul. Everybody. Yeah, Tom knew and I are going show. to Paris in October. To everybody we're going knows to Paris. That, yeah. We're going to you know. I, we were just in Australia. You were in yeah. Australia. It's like couldn't it's move. Extraordinary. On, How lucky are we? It's could a fucking not, lucky. Thing. Couldn't move on the streets of Sicily. Couldn't move. It was just like everywhere incredible. I went. Incredible. It's incredible. It's it's more than I ever could have asked for. So if you know if people are listening to us talking right now and, and, it, and it sounds like we aren't. We aren't grateful. I am in. Wow. I am. I am internally, eternally grateful for this opportunity. It is. It. I could go on to do things that people think are way more significant, or a bigger profile, or the movies, or whatever the case may be. Arrow will always be the most important thing that has ever happened to me professionally, ever. I and I think it's the same thing with Smallville. I think yeah. we're, you know, uh, incredibly fortunate, and mm-hmm. you know, but I think the most important thing probably is the whole fuck cancer movement yeah, and man. what you did for that, and you're heavily involved mm-hmm. in charities, mm-hmm. which it's easy to be 
Well, it's not easy to become famous, but it's easy to, you know, you go out there and be an actor and enjoy all the benefits, all this shit. But you do a lot of charity work. You do a lot. I mean, I think that means a lot to you. It does. It's, you know, my mom's a two-time cancer survivor and it's all happened very, um, it's all happened very, very organically, you know, the, the fuck cancer campaign are the things that people think about it. And it's sort of what comes up if you're, if you're looking into any philanthropic things that I've done, but I love the campaigns that like, there was a young girl, Sophie, who was and is battling a brain tumor. And, you know, we just took a simple GoFundMe page and I was like, look, I'm going to sign a couple of things, but um, we'll organize a draw. I'll have her, her mom organize a draw, but you know, just can someone just go on and give two bucks. But like five bucks gets you a ticket and you just get in the draw, whatever. We raised like, I don't know, like a hundred and some thousand dollars. Just, just, just people giving five bucks at a time, 10 bucks at a time. It's, you know, some people would come on, they give you $150. And it was just like to see the, to see how kind people are. It's one of the reasons when I see someone just being so violently negative over nothing that I just want to go, I don't believe you. I don't, I don't, it's hard. I, it's I, hard don't, to... I don't believe the, the indignation. I don't believe it. So anyway, not to steer it back to the, no, beginning. but no, I, I love, I love doing charity work. Uh, it feels great. As long as it's something that I, whatever I do, it has to be something that I'm passionate about. Right. Right. Like I got offered an endorsement deal for a fast food restaurant and I, just, I don't care. And they're throwing millions at you. No, 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 it was like a lot of money. Yeah. And you're like, it's not, this is killing people. I'm not, I'm not going to help you out. I'd rather have fuck cancer t-shirts or hats and sell 60,000 of them. Sure. And, you know, make help people. Then talk about, (laughs) then talk about, talk about breakfast all day and healthy options at McDonald's. You're a pretty open guy. I got to tell you, I I didn't know. Where do we meet? The first time we met was game one of the 2014 Stanley Cup Finals. That was right. That was uh, my Rangers. Yeah. And we lost. And my Kings. And you rubbed it in my face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember Luke got me, helped me get tickets, and uh, he said, you can't wear anything Rangers. And I had a satin Rangers jacket and a mullet. <laughs> and I look like one of the Hanson brothers from Slapshot, and he goes, you're a fucking idiot. And I go, yeah, I was. But yeah. we lost that game. I was really upset. And the Rangers, I don't know if they'll ever win again. Stanley Cup. Yeah, I was in. I was filming Turtles in New York when they made a run to the. Yeah, who did you play? The voice of. Uh, no, 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 no. I was no, Casey, I was oh, Casey, Casey Jones. Casey, Casey Jones, Jones, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Was that awesome? That was incredible. That that I think that that filming experience and filming in New York was one of, if not the most important things that I've been through as an actor because I used to be, um, yeah, I used to be very, very particular in terms of like, I need silence on set. I can't have people walking around. I can't really? hear, I, I can't hear a cell phone buzz. Like I can't. You're one of those guys. I was one you of those guys. Christian Bale. Shut the fuck up, Rob. Yeah. And I would have, I would have taken myself way too seriously, you know, because again, like I'm in my early thirties, but it, I'm like arrow just probably had an outsized importance. You know what I mean? But then I went and worked in New York where people are yelling at you during the take. You're like, hey, you got to learn how to deal with this. The crew doesn't, it's not that the crew's not professional, but they're also a New York crew and they don't give a shit. And you had, so you changed your perspective on it. It just, you, nothing bothers me nothing anymore. Bothers nothing bothers you anymore. So you can be on set and all of a sudden anymore. you're a different person. You don't need people to shut up. You don't no. need to, I mean, look, it's, it still happens every once in every a while. Once, you're like, but, all right, come on. But every, but every, yeah, every once in a while is different than like, I wanted to institute a policy where people couldn't have cell phones on set. Yeah. It's just a true story. So you were a set Nazi? A little bit. So are you saying you were a little bit of a dick? 
ah, uh, because you're such a nice guy with all these great things and the charitable. But you could be a dick as long I, as you evolve. I think in the early days, I think relative to now, I was probably a bit of a dick. And now I want to, I want to specify that doesn't mean treating. I think that's cool. That doesn't mean treating anyone with disrespect. Like far from that. Not, 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 not in the slightest. It's just like we're here to do a job, right? I've asked crew members um, all the time. I'm like, you know, you guys want to break for 15 minutes and and sing a song, or do you want to do you want the day to be as efficient and quick as possible so that everyone can get back home to their families? And everyone always says the latter. It's always the latter. Yeah, right. They so get home. So our set is a little bit more efficient and maybe a little bit less kumbaya than some other sets in vancouver and i think that every once in a while that gives me the reputation of being a little prickly and it's like well okay fine i also am completely aware that i can't control the perception of people that people have of me because because i you hear about welling right and 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 his behavior and then you meet him and he couldn't possibly be a nicer guy and it's like, okay, yeah, definitely all the stuff that I heard was bullshit. I don't so, even know the stuff, the bad stuff. Oh, I mean, I, it's not the, we it's, never it's, had a fun, but yes, but you hear not, people always talk shit. People, will, yeah. I'm sure, are going to say, hey, that Rosenbaum, he's an asshole. Mostly yeah. Rob here. Yeah. The worst. You're always, you know, there's, uh, some singer once said, let's give him something to talk about. I don't think that's the right attitude. No, but I think, <laughs> but I'm, I think, I think that there are, I think like literally within a crew, right? Like there, there are, there, there are workers who are confident and easygoing and, you know, I think that I think that on the whole, I think that that the, the crew is incredibly loyal to me because I, you know, six years I've never I've never missed a day of work. I've been late once. You know how much they respect that when you show up, know your lines, and hit your mark, and they don't have to wait for you. A lot That's of it. actors they don't. It's being a professional, and when they show up, it's the same thing. They like, oh, this guy's always on time. He knows his shit. We're mm-hmm. gonna go home. I'm not. He's not gonna be the one that's holding us back today. But I also think that there are there are crew members that will attempt to intimidate their subordinates by making me seem like I'm more difficult than I am so that, you know, if they tell them that they can't talk to me, it allows them to exert control over mm. the person in their department. So you get a bad rap. I think so. I think that happens. Right. And that's, again, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, par- also, it's, it's par for it's, it, it is what it is. It it's is. never going to change. You can't control what other people think about. You could try to do the best you can and yep. evolve as a human being and, you know, let people like have their cell phones on while they're, you're filming. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. It's fine. All right. Quick, some questions here real quick. Cause I got to get your ass out. Cause I was a little late today. It's fine. I got to get you out 10 till I promised you. Uh, Trista K. Demio, you know, Oh my God, yes, can't wait to see you, Stephen. What is the most memorable thing that has happened in your life that has a huge impact on you? Quick question. We're going to go through these. <laughs> uh, the move to LA in 2010 and the, and, the, and the way that I felt about myself and my life when I made that move. What made you want to become Green Arrow? Paycheck. Paycheck? You want to get paid as an actor? Well, I, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't, of course. I, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't get offered to me. How sweaty are your balls? In the uh, that's Michael Rosenbaum. His question. I mean, in that in that arrow suit, do they have? It is soup, little, it is soupy in there. Do man. they put a arrow fan? Mm, no, a fan, a fan, a ball fan. That suit has one of two options. I'm either freezing because I'm out in the cold and and the, and the leather is trapping in right? the cold, or I am sweating. Sweating my. Does it? But I bet those farts, Balls are, off. farts are trapped in there. No, oh, it's good, really right? bad. You yeah. take that off ten hours later. You're like, oh my god, that was a fart I had at breakfast. <laughs> 
<laughs> what the fuck just happened? Uh, La Lame. Yeah, that was La Lame's question about the Green Arrow. Uh, when are you going to come out, Sarah Wolf, or when are you going to come out with a new fuck cancer campaign? It's time for a new one. Probably late, late this year or early next year. I want to be part of that. It's possible. Okay. Uh, let's see. Is Lex Luthor coming on Arrow? Why not? Okay, you heard that. Ask him if he's still Princess Julie 13. Ask him if he still has a Louisville slugger I gave him when we were here at WizardCon. Yeah, for sure. It's sitting in my closet in Vancouver. The Louisville slugger? Yeah, it's either a green one with my name on it or or another one that was just the regular sort of Louisville slugger color, but uh, but also have my name on it. Sil- Silver Girl Sin, I think he owns a vineyard. You own a vineyard? My buddy and I have a winery in Walla Walla, Washington, but we don't own a vineyard. Okay. We 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 source and make and produce wine, but we don't actually own any dirt. Uh, we talked about your method of me- uh, memorization. You read mm-hmm. the script three times, then you pretty much go for it. Favorite travel destination, for, uh, Amy in Sydney. And thanks for visiting Sydney, she said. It's going to be tough to top the Maldives. That was uh, That was heaven on earth. I like it. I really like St. Bart's too. You ever been to St. Bart's? No. It's fantastic. Really? It's really, really cool. I mean, you're, you're like a traveler. You're like, you, you pretty much are doing everything with your life. I, I, my, my, wife, my wife demands adventure. She's like, you have to, you're you, going to do the show. And when you're off, we're going. Yeah. And also I, I give her, the only thing that I say right now is I'm not trying out new spots over the Christmas break because I need that recovery time. I need to rest. But uh, when it comes to, you know, because we've just basically been around the world and she gets carte, she gets to pick. She gets carte blanche. I like that. Yeah. Rob? Yeah. How do you feel about this interview? That's great. Right? Mm-hmm. So interesting. I mean, you, I could talk to you for hours. I mean, you we, live around the corner for me. Can you maybe sometime come back again down the road months, months from now? 100%. You, it's easy. We could just talk, shoot the shit. Yeah. What's going on? It's, it's, it's good for the show. It's good for my show. But that's, I think, being a nice person. I think I'm a pretty nice guy. But like, if you, you never know who you're going to meet. Oh, you, couldn't, you, could not be, you couldn't be more right. And especially because when you meet like, super intelligent and highly successful people, they don't, they don't give off the, the sort of vibe that somebody um, who is like moderately successful but wants you to think they're super successful like those right. people those people are easy to spot but somebody like Jeannie Buss or like just the, anyone that I meet that's super duper high up mm-hmm. in either the entertainment industry or whatever their industry is they're always incredibly soft spoken and understated and conscientious and intelligent and and so again you never know who you're going to meet do you ever have you ever gotten in a fight on set with another actor or a director and just like yelling or really uncomfortable it's a good question i i've butted heads with uh with directors with directors before um there was a director in our fourth season that i just i didn't appreciate he he would he would talk to me about a scene, right? And he'd be like, "I'd like you to try this," and I'd say, "I'm not comfortable doing that for the following reasons." And I get crazy about memorization on the show in terms of like, this happened here, and this happened in this season, and this is in all this wow. is what happened all over here, to the point where I'll have the script supervisor or other people come to me and be like, "Hey, we got a question for you," and I'll be like, "Yep," and because you remember, I remember, and. He said, you know, I want you, I want you to try this. And I, and I, I gave a reasonable response as to why I was not going to do it. But he still went out, yeah. And he just goes, he just goes, no, it wasn't like he goes, if he had stood up and said, hey, I'm the fucking director of this episode and I'm asking you for something, 
and you're the actor, and I want you to give it to me, and we'll look at it together. But it was like, he went sneaky and said, he goes, yeah, but just like, why don't you just do it anyway? And I was like, okay, no, you're, no, I'm, 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 I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm, don't don't, sneaky, yeah, don't you try to do, fucking sneak don't me. You don't sneak, sneak me. Um, we've had, we've had, uh, the cast has got along pretty well. I mean, you, you're working with people. You're going to have, you're, you're going to have, have some, you're going to have, you're going to have family squabbles. Um, um, to tell you one one thing I really respected was this year, um, and and also I I also understand that you know there are actors that are friends on the show, but there's a certain element of me that I'm people are always going to think of me as management just a little bit because you know anybody can die on the show except probably me, <laughs> except probably you, know, you, you know what I mean? And, you know, and I'm, and they probably know that I, I'll probably get the script a little bit before they do, or, or just have a different and unique relationship with the, with the producers or the director that maybe they don't feel like they have. I get that. Um, which is why I respected what happened so much. Rick Gonzalez uh, had a speech in episode nine this year at Oliver and Felicity's wedding reception. And he takes over for somebody who's giving a drunk speech. And it's a very thoughtful speech. And, you know, I need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, that not everyone has big and powerful and interesting and emotional speeches on every episode. You know, some people go through an episode, maybe they have two or three lines, right? And we were just, we were just saying the words. We weren't even blocking the scene. We were just saying the words. And during his first reading of the speech, I just, because I'm sort of joking around in character, I, I made kind of a flippant remark. Don't remember what it is, right? But it was just meant to kind of lighten the mood and it's the start of the day and it's the first scene that we're doing. And didn't think anything of it. Came back to set and he took me aside and he said, can I speak with you please? And I said, yes. And he goes, um, you making a joke like that really interferes with my process. This scene and this moment in this episode is really important to me and I didn't appreciate what you did. And I said, Thank you so much for saying that. I'm incredibly sorry. It will never happen again. I meant, I didn't mean anything by it. It was just a joke. It wasn't even a good one. I'm really sorry, man. But above all else, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about it. Shook hands and it was squashed and it was done. That's so, yeah. But- because the thing that I'm aware of is that probably 95% of the time that people get pissed off at they me. They say it right in front of people. I am oblivious to it. I have no idea because I, I don't know what I've done. And maybe they feel intimidated and they don't yeah. want to talk or with me about it. Or you say something and you say stupid things. We all say stupid shit. Everybody says stupid shit. And so most of the time that I offend somebody, I am completely in the dark about it. So the fact that he pulls me aside, it's squashed. My level of respect for him, which was already high, jumps up even more. Yeah. And uh, and then you go on about your day. Dude, this has been a really good time. Thanks, uh, thanks for allowing me to be inside of you, Stephen. This has been a real treat. Uh, come back anytime. Thanks, buddy. All right. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.